creating the environment when people wake up excited to come to work every day just is not only the right thing to do, but it is better for business. And Breachers has followed that from the outset. And the success that we've had that brought us to this point uh, is a direct reflection of that. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore, joined today by my stand-in co-host, Matt Colicello. And in today's episode, we're joined by Marcelo Bernal, Chief Revenue Officer at Britteris. Marcelo is an experienced chief executive and financial officer with a proven track record of success leading and transforming organization in the payments and financial technology industries. Marcelo's business development experience spans structured finance, equity, and debt capital markets, banking, and private equity. Welcome to the show, Marcelo. It's so great to have you on today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Welcome, Marcelo. So, Britteris, why don't you tell us what they do and what's your role inside of it? So, Britteris is a nearshore software development firm. Okay. Um, think about this. Anyone out there that's working with technology mm-hmm. um, has gone through the great resignation and has mm-hmm. had several open tech positions, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, we come in um, to essentially deliver on those positions. So we have a team of over a thousand developers, primarily in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we develop code for a number of global companies and a growing number of US-based technology companies. So our, our team uh, is based in Brazil, primarily in Brazil, which means that there are in our client's time zone, which is a mm-hmm. big deal when you're running an agile methodology shop. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Have, most of them are fluent in English. And they have, uh, the one thing about uh, Brazil is it has a very strong US cultural influence. So a lot of less gets lost in translation. So um, think about, uh, we are a development partner for technology companies need to develop on time, on spec, and on budget. And that's a very interesting point you brought up. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize that is Brazil matches the U.S. in a lot of the different time zones, right? And I think that's it's very close interesting. Enough. It's close yeah, enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so at this point, we are one hour ahead. Uh, which means that we we have the ability to have our developers uh, work our clients' time zone. So if they're in California, 
they're going to work West Coast time. If they're in Boston, they're going to work East Coast time. Uh, and there's actually one client that we're working, I think, seven time zones for them because they're, wow. they're launching a global project. Wow. And, and someone, although you do have customization and localization in each of these several countries, mm-hmm. um, someone needs to make sure that it all looks the same, that it all feels the same, it all works right. the same. And, and we are, we end up being sort of like that center point for all this, for this, this global project. So um, because we have a very large team, uh, we're able to bring people in as we need it um, and take people off if they're done with that part of the project and, right. and help our clients sort of like uh, the ebbs and flows in, right. in talent needs for our clients. Right, right. Something that I, I'm wondering is you're talking about how there's similarities and there's a lot of American cultural influence in Brazil. So there's this kind of understanding already there. But what are some of the differences that you find yourself having to bridge or that others in your company find themselves having to bridge? Yeah, it, it is a very interesting interesting question, Matt, because yeah. uh, the devil's in the details, right? And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and the truth is, uh, while there is a very strong U.S. cultural influence, they're all fundamental differences, right? And, and yeah. when you look at my career of the past, maybe, I don't know, 25 years, uh, I've worked uh, for... Um, either a Brazilian company in the U.S. or a U.S. company in Brazil, and, and the reason being is that uh, having been having been born and raised in Brazil, but having spent most of my adult career, uh, my adult life in the U.S., um, I understand both cultures really well, and right. I'm able to bridge that gap. Right? I think one very interesting example is uh, culturally, Brazilians would never say no. Right? So uh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, they would say, "Oh yeah, yeah, let's talk." Uh, I'll call you, and, but they'll never say no. In, gotcha. in, in the U.S., we're very, you know, I mean, like, I want to know yes, yes is no, it's no, right, right. right. Uh, um, so, so it's very interesting because again, this causes all sorts of problems. Uh, there is a there was a, 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 a the Economist article many 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 years ago that talks about that that was a lot about like what Brazilians say and what Brazilians mean, uh-huh. and, it, and it was fascinating when they say yeah. I'll call you. They're not gonna call you. Don't worry about it. Like don't, <laughs> they're, they're gonna call you, but they don't get your number. They don't know where you live. You know what I mean? Right. Um, little things like that, but they make a big difference when you're doing that. Uh, when mm-hmm. you're doing cross-border business. So, um, so part of a lot of my role is to do that cross-culturalization, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of as we are we were gearing up to expand into the U.S. There's a lot of training that goes into. Um, our teams that are working with the U.S. clients say, "Listen, uh, you gotta be clear. You gotta be like precise." Right. That's, so, so I think that uh, the great thing is that because of our business model, um, our like our churn rates are much lower than industry average. So, uh, all the the vast investment we're doing training with these people actually stay here. So. Um, so we're ab- actually we're able to tell them just once, and not that tell- keep telling people like every three months. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of that cultural training that goes into the teams that are now working with the U.S. clients, so that they understand that. The, so that the, the the expectation is that when the client closes their eyes, they won't know if the, the if the developers in Midtown São Paulo or Midtown Atlanta. Um, mm. That's sort of like the, the person and and. and and like it or not, COVID kind of like gave us that, right? So right. Uh, oh, now it's yeah. now everyone is very comfortable with working from home. And if you if you know a handful of developers, uh, they prefer their their own time, right? So right. to to work in their own time, work in their own pace, and 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 the working from home environment just works great 
for a number of the, the the developers that we have. So, but it has to look look and feel like they are part of the team. It has to look and right. feel like, and, and they need to be able to get into like what the company's um, routines are, right? So, because right. our employees, they're still our employees, but they are part of our clients' teams. I mean, there are cases where. Our employees get the employee of the month. <laughs> uh, uh, <of laughs> That's clients, fantastic. You know I mean? So I, I, I like to tell the story because it kind of tells, like, like it speaks to the quality of the work that we put out, um, yeah. and and of the the results of all the training that we that we do with our with our developers. But um, but the idea is that uh, we can bring in um, uh, people that have a much broader. Uh, expertise than mm -hmm. maybe someone that you have as a, as a, as a, a, a direct hire, and we're able to kind of work on the apps and flows, as I mentioned, right? And, and especially when we're talking about companies that are in rapid growth phase, sometimes they don't need a data architect full time. They might, but they have a, they really need a data architect to do a certain project to to define what their data lake should look like, right? Mm -hmm. So things like that, we're able to bring in and out um, people with those skill sets as needed. Excellent. So give us an idea of what does your client base look like, right? I know a lot of times we can't actually say who we're working for because we have different contracts and play and everything like that. But kind of give us an idea. I mean, like, how small do you guys, you know, when you guys, when you look at your client pool, what does that bio look like for those different yeah. companies that you guys are working with? It's a very wide range, right? Okay. So you can think about uh, when you look at our, our global business, about 40% of our business is fintech. Um, but the other 60% is everything else from um, we have we work with the largest Brazilian education company and we work with the largest Brazilian mining company. Uh, we work with the largest Brazilian media company. Uh, we work with uh, Pfizer, for example, is a large global company. Yep. Uh, we developed it. We developed in Latin America for Pfizer. Uh, we mm -hmm. developed for Pearson Education. Um, we developed for um, the, the Brazilian Stock Exchange. Right, so so it's a very wide range of clients, mm -hmm. uh, and the reason being is because um, we are able to draw from experiences one sector solutions to the, the next sector. Right, so gotcha. uh, if we need mm -hmm. a client portal, right, maybe education is very different than mining, but there might be problems that they face together. So we can sure. say, well, we we tried this; it didn't work over here. So let's try different over there, or we try to mm -hmm. work really well here. So I think it's going to work over there. So as we start working with our clients, we start and we have a visibility of where our thousand developers are and what kind of expertise they have, right? So as I start talking to you, I can start bringing in who are the right people to do the dream team for you. Gotcha. Um, so in terms of sizes, we, in Brazil, we are 13 years old, right? So we've grown... Right. Uh, to be uh, uh, one of the largest uh, developers in Latin America. Uh, and we work with very large companies. Um, in the US, uh, we have a much broader range. So we work mm -hmm. with large companies as well, but we go, we go all the way down to like a startup that just got seed funding and needed to build the first MVP, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I think gotcha. it's, um, our, our sweet spot is to become that trusted development partner Mm -hmm. Right, that's going to grow with the company, and mm -hmm. eventually we'll have fifty percent of their of their development stuff is going to be British um, employees, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, we uh, we are here to grow with our partners, to grow with our clients. Uh, one interesting thing is that uh, we've just announced last week we announced our headquarters moved to Atlanta, 
which is was a was a big milestone on our global our uh, international and North American strategy. Okay. Um, we uh, we believe that I think when you look at the industry, right, uh, you have very well established large Indian development firms, right, or yes. offshore right. India, right. Philippines, uh, Ukraine, yep. and etc. But we don't really have a, a well developed, well mature near shore development firm. Like there's a go your go to guy, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the strategy that we've decided to embark on is really to become that guy, right? So mm-hmm. become the company, and you say, well, I really need some help. Let me go to Marcelo first. Let's go to Bridgeris first. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to go somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Because because of our unique business model, we can consistently provide U.S. quality of developers mm-hmm. for a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. So whether you're growing really fast and you need more people, we have the people to provide you. But also everyone's talking a lot about the downturn, right? And right. the truth is uh, the downturn comes with hiring freezes, budget yes. freezes. Correct. But what doesn't freeze is the pressure on the delivery of the roadmap. Not right? at all. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of our clients are backfilling positions that were originally in-house or onshore. Right. Mm-hmm. With our guys, because we can, we can kind of get two for the price of one, right? right. And uh, and the, the hardest part of that is that is that first step, right? The, the give us the benefit of the doubt. Um, as soon as that happens, um, all our clients, everyone that now have twenty or thirty people with us, they start with two or three, right? And sure. To kind of try it with like that non-strategic project, right? If you delay, it gets oh, delayed, yeah. it's not going to be a yep. problem. And all of them, their companies were running technology for them um, right. because they just they just trust us that much. Right. Um, I think one thing I would like to, I, I think I, I like to say because that's really kind of uh, tells the, like tells the story why Breeders versus anybody else uh, is really uh, the our business model, right? Because if you think about companies in this industry, they're generally the middleman, right? So I'll go hire the developer, place mm-hmm. it in your company. And that developer's ultimate goal, it's really is to become, to be hired full-time in your company. Right. right? So, right. so there isn't a real alignment to what I'm selling you, right? Um, so um, knowing this, uh, the uh, British founders um, 13 years ago decided to kind of go a different route. They said, listen, let's not be another middleman, right? Right. Let's create a very strong software development brand that the kids getting out of school, they can choose to go to Facebook, but if mm-hmm. you don't like what they're doing data privacy, you're kind of stuck, right? I mean, right. You just go to Amazon, but I mean, if you don't really like the culture, you're going to have to find a new job. Right. Or they can go to Breederis where, I mean, you can work in projects and in exciting companies just like Amazon, just like Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't like what you see, Guess what? You can call your your case manager or your uh, your people manager, as we call right. them, and they can they can bring they, they can phase you out into a new project, right? Yeah. So uh, so they've created like a very strong culture, great places to work every year in a row, like mm-hmm. great compensation package and a partnership model. So think about a law firm, think about an investment bank uh, where you go to the ranks and then eventually become a partner of the firm. Right. That happens with Bridges. So we have now 29 partners, which are developers that grew up through the ranks and um, became partners of the firm. Mm-hmm. So when oh. I place a developer in a client's project, my developer's goal is not to become a full-time employee, but it's really to deliver what I promised you to deliver. And just because 
their ultimate goal is their retirement fund, which is the shares they're going to get from the company. So, um, so that means that, like as I mentioned before, our churn rates are a fraction of industry average. Right. And all the time and energy, and we do invest a lot of time and energy in hiring, right, and training these developers, it stays within the company. So that value is what we can bring to our clients. So that's the reason why we can consistently bring a much better talent than anybody else you're going to talk mm-hmm. to. Marcelo, let's talk about Britteris as a diverse supplier. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we, we met at the Supplier Diversity Executive Roundtable um, in, in Atlanta, and I know that you're extremely active in, in, that, in that world. Can you talk about Britteris as a diverse supplier? Like what yeah. certifications do you have or are you, or are you working on getting? And how, how is that strategic for, for Britteris? What does that mean for Britteris? Especially as an organization, I imagine 13 years ago when it was founded in Brazil was not a minority organization in the way that it might be viewed here. So kind of, I would also love to know what, what that transition between cultures means in terms of diversity. You're right, right? Back 13 years ago, we weren't thinking about that. And very few companies were actually thinking about that, especially down in Brazil, right? But, uh, but you think about the, the fundamental um, definition of diversity is that people from different backgrounds can arrive to a better solution faster, mm-hmm. right? So and we work with talent, we work with creativity. So the end result of what we deliver to our clients is better if we're diverse than if we're not. Yes. So while it wasn't something that we like intentionally worked towards, it's something that's always been part of our culture. And it's fascinating to see because um, uh, as uh, uh, like Brazil has a lot of like uh, um, social inequality and um, it, 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 it turns out that um, the best developers that had English, it came from the best schools that in turn came from higher income families, right? So um, we've been, especially I'd say over the last maybe five to seven years, Mm-hmm. That's when this became intentional. So listen, the diversity that we started with, right, starts to kind of like dissipate as we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, no, this is doesn't, this is this is not right, right? So let's let's start let's now putting in place uh, elements that are going to enable us to really um, move the needle the other way. So I think there's two in very interesting initiatives uh, um, that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, the first one is we partner with a number of nonprofit organizations that look at low-income candidates, right? And mm-hmm. at, at giving training and, and teaching them how to develop code and how to become developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we partner with them to give them the opportunity to, um, to come and participate in our recruiting programs and get access and awareness of what's of what we're we're hiring. We uh, we run and and the other thing that's very interesting is is our um, recruitment process itself, right? Because uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we do have a very large recruiting team. I think there are thirty five people in our recruiting team uh, mm-hmm. for like the roles that we we are constantly getting uh, needing to hire for for our uh, clients, but we run. If I'm not wrong, it's three or four hackathons a year. Oh wow! And, That's and our really hackathon cool. is really our big um, recruiting event, and uh, we get maybe something between two and four thousand applicants for each one. Wow. Um, of those, we select two hundred people, 
And of those 200 people, an average of something around 100 ends up, ends up getting hired. Okay. Um, and the interesting thing is that, one, uh, we make sure that all the nonprofit organizations that we work with, NGOs, uh, um, they, that they are aware and they, they send their candidates to the programs. Mm-hmm. But the other fundamental thing is that when we narrow them down from the 4,000 to 200, mm-hmm. 100 of these of this, of this roles have to be women. Mm. Because Very one of the nice. big things is that there's there's not enough women in technology. Mm-hmm. So this this is one of the, the big initiatives that we started, I think, three or four years ago. And, and we were able to, to triple the number, the, the, the proportion of women uh, in our in our workforce. Um, so uh, we do three of these, I think three or four of these hackathons every year. And the interesting thing is that, uh, so it's a weekend long event and mm-hmm. uh, they, they get divided in teams and they have to solve problems and things like that. But the interesting thing is that while they believe that they're being uh, um, evaluated on their technical skills, that's already been evaluated for them to get chosen to be one of these 200 people. Oh, sure. Mostly what we are looking at as we're evaluating them over the, during the hackathon is soft skills. Do you work well in teams? Are you a good leader? Are you a good follower, right? Are you able to, to convince, right? Of, of to, 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 yep. to convince the team that you, yours, you're the right solution without getting into confrontation? How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with working under pressure? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting that when it comes down to it, we look a lot for their soft skills. Because mm-hmm. in the hard skills, that's just when we narrow down from 4,000 to 200, right? So right. Uh, obviously, if there's a gross mistake and we'll look into it, but, but normally these are these are exercises that they can do it. Uh, it's more about how do they work together. And, and that also is a great element of the qualities that you you would like to, but you don't always check, like have a, a box to check when you're, you're hiring a developer, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that's the first time I've heard of hackathons being used in kind of that social construct part of it, right? To evaluate how do you work in a team you know, kind of what is your role that you fit into naturally, that type of thing, the soft skills um, evaluation. Because I think that's critical. And, and I really like that. That That's really, really cool. And you touched on something else that we've talked about on this show before when we've talked about trying to do supplier diversity offshore, right? So outside the, the contiguous 48 or the, the 50 states mm-hmm. and territories. And that is education is a diversity designator that's seen outside of the U.S. that we don't really look at, right? And I and I thought that was interesting on how you touched on that and really kind of helped explain it a little bit more in my mind. And that is, especially with foreign companies trying to do work with U.S., the degree of English excellence denotes a higher education or better education, right? And then that in and of itself creates a divide amongst people. So I really kind of, you gave us an explanation without realizing you're actually explaining something that we've talked about on that, on, on this show, but can you go into that just a little bit more? So our listeners kind of understand that, right? Cause that's one of the questions that we get and, and, and Marcella, you sit in a very interesting space in your career having been on the U S side and the foreign side. And that is understanding how, supplier diversity is done outside the U.S. and how U.S. companies need to think about it a little bit differently when they start expanding. Because oftentimes, those are the questions we get. 
I've grown. I've started doing exports. I'm doing you know business with X, Y, and Z countries. I don't really understand how the supplier diversity piece plays in as I'm working you know off out of outside our own country. Yeah, I mean, this is a super interesting conversation, and um, that's a conversation you could take. That's a whole other show, isn't it? Yeah, it's a whole other show. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is that because when you talk to the large companies, right, that are hiring the services, they're like, listen, I understand, I get it, right? But I can't change this, my standards because you can't provide what I need, right? So so it is also like, okay, I I, I need, what I need to get done doesn't change, right? So, exactly. And that's why we spend so much time and energy uh, training our guys. Right, because it's the expectation that if you are working in a US-based team, you gotta speak the language. You gotta be make, be able to communicate. And, and there are daily stand-ups, right? They, they have to stand up and talk about what they developed that day or they're gonna develop that day. And if you can't talk, speak the language, that doesn't happen, right? So mm-hmm. um, so there are cases in which the client says, well, I, I want the, the more senior team to be completely fluent in English. I'm okay if the teams that they're leading aren't, mm-hmm. um, as long as they can do the communication. Uh, that like sometimes expedites uh, assembling sure. the team and stuff like that. And it, it all depends on how hands off the client is on managing the teams and how much he trusts the people that are in charge on our team, right? So, gotcha. and that, but, but what we commit to our clients is a team that's fully um, uh, proficient in English. Mm-hmm. So there is yes, there is a lot of investment in language proficiency from the very junior people that we hire all the way up to our very senior season developers um, to be able to participate uh, in in the U.S. projects, which for them is a great step up in their career, right? So I'd say probably of over our our thousand developers, we now have something around 100 uh, developers working with U.S. projects. And probably we have have a decent bench now um, that, that we can deploy to U.S. projects to future clients, but we're constantly training them to increase that bank. Uh, we uh, we see uh, the, the North America is um, highly strategic for us. Uh, and we we want to make sure that we're, we're ready to to provide that. Uh, the one thing that's uh, on, on talking about supply diversity, and mm-hmm. it's something that I hadn't realized until one of our clients actually told us is uh, the truth is a lot of this, the larger companies have quotas that they have to meet. Right in, in terms of of, yep. of uh, diversity suppliers and and diversity work diverse workforce correct and and while uh, about seventy percent if I'm not wrong then then if I'm not wrong about seventy percent uh, of our workforce is non-white um, mm-hmm. um, so it, it's really great uh, uh, but what my client says like you know Marcelo I love working with Britters because even my your even your white developers are Latino. Right, mm-hmm. so 100% of the people that are of your people that are working with me, um, I can I can add to to the numbers that I need to provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's like, oh yeah, you're a plug and play diversity diverse, diversity <laughs> partner. And I was like, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, we were yes for you, but we work very hard to make sure that that happens. Right, um, right. But but it's interesting because especially with the, all this ESG conversation that's becoming more and more oh, relevant. Oh yes, right? oh yes. Uh, a lot of companies are going to be looking at okay, how do I meet my numbers? Mm-hmm. Um, and we are a a natural um, uh, choice, right? When it comes to looking at that aspect of the business, but I think the diversity is very important to me um, in many levels. And 
and I just think it's the right thing to do uh, I, above everything else, right? Right. I hear so much advice or insight that our listeners who are diverse suppliers oh, take out of what you're of what you're saying. But I'm also curious just to ask directly and, and hear what you have to say. What advice would you give to another supplier that in the U.S. context could be considered diverse in some way? What what advice would you give them to breaking into the U.S. market? There was a top piece of advice that that would come to mind. Like, here's how you do it. You got to understand the game you're looking to play. I mean, if I want to go and supply to higher ground, got to understand what they're expecting, right? What what is the what are they what do they need, and how do I know what I don't know? How do I know what I don't know? How can I bridge that gap? If my gap is in my case, language proficiency. We're gonna we're getting the best possible solutions that we can to accelerate language acquisition for our developers because we know that at some point if we don't do that we're gonna run out of English speaking developers right right um, so so depending on where what kind of industry you are try to understand really what that client's looking for and and find ways to bridge that gap we we know that there are organizations that can help and just look at the affinity organization that that you identify with. And there's a, there's going to be a lot of people that are willing to help. So, or, and, and find someone that's already done it, right? It's like, okay, uh, there's also, especially if it's a diverse supplier that's gone through the ropes and managed to get it in and and, and has gone through this, they're going to look at you and say, well, I'll, I'll help you out, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you don't compete directly with them. <laughs> but, yeah, that helps. <laughs> uh, right? so, but, uh, but yeah, but I mean, we were like, it's a community in the end, right? And, uh, it is still and a community. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you find someone that, that was willing to help, ask for help. There's a lot of people out there that are willing to help. Yeah. You know, Marcel, I think, that's a, I think that's a really great statement you made. And it's something I've said a lot it's, in this particular line of work, there's a lot of business out there, right? There's there's more business than any one of us can handle. Uh, yeah. And I love that attitude of you, we may be in the same space, but you know what? We suffer the same problems, mm-hmm. the same obstacles. So it actually behooves us to work together to save the obstacle, you know, to 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 clear the obstacle than for me to try to work in it in a silo absolutely. and hope I beat you to the finish line. I, I absolutely yeah. love that. I think that is yeah. a fantastic, but I think it speaks to, the whole culture we're hearing about that you guys have too, right? And you talked about your retention earlier in the show, right? And and I'm hearing about how you're doing hackathons and you're really looking for soft skills and culture fit, right? You your guys are putting a lot of money into your your people and their education and keeping them there. They have an ability to speak up and say, you know what? I don't know if you know I like being on this project. I don't know if I like this project. And the ability then to move around internally to find where they do fit and click. And that I think is an amazing thing that our even small businesses need to hear, right? And because especially in today's day and age, as you said, we're coming into this downturn that the whole world is facing, you know, jobs are going to be not on the line, but it's not going to be quite the hiring boom that we had seen over the maybe the previous 18 months. So I absolutely love that you guys are really concentrated on your internal people and trying to bring on a new person introduces risk and expense inside a company that a lot of times we just don't recognize on our balance sheets, right? And so I yeah. absolutely love that culture that you guys have built. No, thank you very much. And I mean, we work with people like our people, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I know that's a super cliche thing to do, uh, but it's true. And, uh, and what we've learned is that that pays off. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we have much happier clients and they deliver better. Right? I mean, the happy people deliver more. 
I oh, think that so it's true. very simple. I had a yeah. I I worked for Goldman Sachs, and um, I remember it was I was living in New York right around uh, when gay marriage was about to get approved, right okay. uh, in New York. And I remember Lloyd, Lloyd Blankfein, which was the then CEO of Goldman Sachs. And he's like, listen, and they were he was the first major CEO of come in favor of of approval of gay marriage, and he said something that just stuck with me. He said, listen, I, I support this not only because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it's because it's good for business, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, happy people produce more. They're right. just do better, true. right? So, right. Uh, um, so, so, and I, I firmly believe that. And I think right. that uh, creating the environment when people wake up excited to come to work every day, right? Just is not only the right thing to do, but it is better for business. And Richards has followed that from the outset, and then the success that we've had that brought us to this point. Uh, is a direct reflection of that. I mean, just to give you an idea, pandemic numbers, right? right. Um, last year, 2021, we grew 72% in headcount, in wow. technology headcount, 72%. Wow. 2020, we grew 62% in headcount. Wow, that's amazing. You can't grow that much if you're not if you're not doing something right. Right, um, exactly, because happy people are also good recruiters, you know, for your firm too. Yes, they are. And the, the interesting thing is that also, our clients take them with us. They take us with them when they mm-hmm. go to another job, right? So mm-hmm. um, they're, they they trust us. They are happy with the work that we do. Um, so when they go to a new job, the first thing they do is like, oh, wait a minute, I want to bring you guys in. Right. And uh, and that's been true for, for um, a number of years in Brazil. And we're starting to see that here as well. So... Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's. Uh, I think that that focusing on the culture, focusing on yeah. on the people, and what really is gonna make them the most productive. That's how we feel. So, uh, it's funny because uh, the founders are in Atlanta for uh, this week because we just announced our headquarters move, uh, and we're talking about this. So listen, they said, well, pre-pandemic, they they just opened this beautiful new office, and right. they're like. Like state of the art, everything, and they're like, listen, now it's a full of boxes because we became a shipping company. We ship laptops <laughs> everywhere, right? <laughs> right, so right. The only people that go to the office today are the senior management and the logistics people. <laughs> they're like, wow. But but that's the thing, right? That's that's right. what that's that's the new reality. That's the new right. normal. And as it long is. as people are happy, as long as people are productive, as yep. long as they're delivering, yep. Let's let let's make Ex- that happen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That is fantastic. So one last question for you this morning, Marcelo, and I want you to put your CFO hat on for us, right? Because you've, you've, right. you've held all these roles. But in your experience and, and kind of help out because, you know, our show, we have a very wide audience, right? And a lot of the mm-hmm. we have a lot of startups, we have some mid markets, everything. But, you know, they sometimes don't have all the answers. And, and that's what we like to provide on this show, too. And so tell us, how long does it really take to become a stable and profitable small business, right? I think that's something that people sit there and go, oh, I've been in the red three years. Maybe I need to give it up, right? I, I wasn't profitable in the first six months. Oh, what am I doing wrong? So kind of help if you were a CFO, right? You're, you're standing in now for one of these small companies. What's some of that advice you give them as they're looking at these numbers and are like wondering if they've made their, even the right choice, right? To step out of that comfy corporate job and enter into uh, the world of entrepreneurship. Mm. That's a that's a very uh, hard question, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I like hard questions. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about from my experience, a little bit from what I've heard from people. And um, I think the truth is, um, I had a, a a boss one time uh, who was a serious entrepreneur and said, um, "Marcelo, don't look for answers to problems that don't exist." 
So, wow. I, so I think the step number one is, is there a real problem? Right. Right. For a lot of people, not just for you, just for that very subsector of the, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, the guys from Brazil that are living in Atlanta and that live in Bucket, right? It's like, right. Uh, so what is it? Is, are you trying to solve a, a big problem, right? right? A scalable problem. Right. Um, are there other solutions that try to, to solve the problem, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've already heard a lot of people say like, yeah, my, prob- my, my company is just like this one, but it's a different color. It's like, you really not. Like, there's someone already solving that problem that's been right. there before you, right? right. Um, so um, so I think that was the first thing is like, don't look for problems. Don't, don't try to solve a problem. Uh, don't look, look, don't try to find a solution for a problem that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there are, there are exceptions. Like the cell phone is a great example of that, right? right. But, uh, right. <laughs> no one had a cell phone. No one needed a cell phone when they right. was, but But on average, Right. right. I mean, right. Uh, right. It's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. That's the boss right. would say. Yep. I think that's point number one. And point number two is planning. Right. I think that planning mm-hmm. is critical. Is figuring out. Listen, yeah, it is. And especially it's a small business. You're more often than not. It's not like you you have a boat like a, a boat of money waiting for you to spend. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. And, exactly. And you, you're you're leaving your job. Right. You're getting like your severance or you're getting your mm-hmm. savings and you're investing in this. But you still have to pay your mortgage or your rent. Right. You right. still have to buy groceries. So right. like, that has to be part of the equation. Um, so you're not like you're not always like, you know, I mean, struggling. Right. Because right. if you can't feed your family, you're not going to have your mind into your no. business. Right. So, no. so that has to be like the, the minimum fine, like, you know, what's the minimum that we need? And you're always going to have to make exceptions and we're going to have to, maybe we're not going to travel this year. Right. But, uh, right. Um, right. but you gotta, that gotta has to be in the equation. And the truth is things change. Right. And so you're going to have a plan and a hundred percent of the time things don't materialize as you plan. Right. Right. No. So you gotta be nimble. you got to be able to pivot. You gotta, right. Like, up, like, my husband says, I'm, a, I'm an eternal romantic, right? So if we, if we don't get, if it's not a happy end, it's because it's not the end yet. Yeah. So uh, uh, it's important to have people that, a group of people that you trust. Right. To help you think through things. Yeah. Right. And yeah. tell you that you're wrong. Right. Because a lot right. of times you don't know, no, no, this is, but listen, you, we, you said that six months ago, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so something, someone took, because, um, and I had another boss that told me it's very lonely at the top. Right. Yes. So, um, as, yeah. either being a CEO of a big company or entrepreneur, that's the CEO, CFO, the, the investor, and you know what I mean. Uh, it is it is hard, and, and a lot of times you have to make a lot of decisions, important decisions by yourself. So, yeah. having a trusted group of people that you can come and, and really open the kimono and, and just lay all the cards on the table and say, "Help right. me out. What would you do?" Right. Right. Um, that's super important. And, yeah. and and so I think the, the how long do you need? Uh, it, it really depends, right? And, yeah. And um, I think a lot of, and I, I'm going to get the, the numbers wrong, but I think 95 to 80% of the companies die within the yes. first five years. Yeah. Right? It's something along those lines. Yeah. So it is hard. Like being a small business is hard, but if yeah. you believe in what you're doing, you've got to be persistent, right? right? Because if you believe in what you're doing, um, there's other people who believe in what you're doing and, and it's about believing, right? And, yep. And and eventually it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna break that 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 barrier mm-hmm. and and things are gonna happen right yeah. but uh, it, but it is I think you gotta I think that's it's it's not easy but it's extremely rewarding right yeah. so 
Uh, that's what uh, what that's, <laughs> I think that's like my two cents on this. Uh, I've Love been it. a banker, it, yeah. I've been a CFO, I've been a CEO, and I've been an entrepreneur. Um, so I think that um, there is, I mean, I think I can go back to ask for help. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people yes. out there that have a lot of time, especially for diverse business, right? Mm-hmm. Diverse uh, or, or minority-owned businesses or diverse suppliers. And um, so look, try to find who these people are and, and, and they will make themselves available to you. Um, I'm, I make myself available to a number of businesses uh, to talk through things uh, and try to, to help them learn from my mistakes. But I think that's, uh, that's it. I think that, and there's, there's no magic pill. Right. right. Uh, it is hard. Yep. It is a lot of hard work. Right. But um, but a lot of times it pays off and you're a, a, a very happy individual at the other end of that tunnel. Right. Nice. Nice. Now that I loved it. That was probably one of the best, honest ground roots answers I've ever heard to that style question. So thank you so much, Marcella, for sharing that with My us. My pleasure. We're going to base the curriculum on that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if you hear us, you'll be like, huh, I think I've heard that before. It's like, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. I'm happy to help. Well, thank you, Marcelo, so much yes. for coming onto the show today. Thank this has Marcelo. been an absolutely fantastic conversation. We really appreciate your time. And just you, like you said, opening up the kimono and sharing with our audience today. We really appreciate that. That's awesome. And um, and obviously, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, we are just coming in. We've been in the U.S. only for a year. We've been very successful so far, but uh, our growth does depend on people trusting us, right? right. So, And I know that people trust you guys. So um, anyone that uh, would like to reach out, uh, that reach out to you and, and want to get in touch with us, would love to hear about their companies, hear about their, te- their technology challenges, and see if we can help. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners, too, for giving us some of your time today to listen to our show. And be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Goodry-Reed and at Adam A. Moore, also at Marcelo Bernal. And also, don't forget my stand-in co-host, Matt Colacello. And if you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our previous show. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you all. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.